Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazzwell Report. This show is about a book that's really an expose on the Reverend Al Sharpton. The book will be hitting our stores soon and it'll be appropriately called A Demagogue's Rise. Our guest today to discuss this book and the subject of the book is the president of the National Legal and Policy Center, Mr. Peter Flaherty. Welcome to the show, Peter. Good to speak with you, Phil. Great. So, so you're president of the National Legal and Policy Center, and excuse me for my ignorance, but I'd never heard of it before. Who are they? What do they do? We were founded in 1991. Mm. Our mission is to uncover corruption and promote ethics in public life. And we've been doing that in a number of realms, including politics and the business world. And what's been your successes that you've had? Well, we've had some real successes over the years. Uh, way back in 1993, just a couple years after we were founded, mm. we successfully sued Hillary Clinton's health care task force to open up the meetings and records. And you may remember at the time that the secrecy was the first thing controversial about the task force. Right. And Hillary, in one of her books, uh, blames us for helping to kill her bill, which we're very proud of. Now you claim to be known. Sorry, go ahead. We also exposed the Boeing tanker deal scandal a few years ago. We sent two Boeing executives to prison and saved taxpayers between four and five billion dollars. Now, what's the need for in, in today's world for the NLPC? Well. Um, let me answer that question by giving you an example. Mm. We have exposed corruption in New York State and New York City. Three state senators have been arrested, including the former uh, majority leader of the state Senate. A city councilman has been erect, arrested, and a series of, of lesser lights, consultants and so forth. Um, we don't have any staff in New York. New York has an attorney general. It has a state ethics commission. It has uh, state police, it has state and federal prosecutors, but none of them could see any of this corruption which was right under their nose. We just went online and started connecting dots and looking at various things, and just in reviewing public documents, found all this corruption. We gave the stories to the newspaper, which uh, produced headlines, and then the prosecutors had to act. So there's been a series of arrests as a result of what we do, because officialdom doesn't do what we do. Now, what does the NLPC have to do with the book, The Demagogue's Rise? We are publishing this book. It's written by a member of our staff, Dr. Carl Horowitz. Mm -hmm. And I love the book because I, I got an advanced copy of it. It's about, what, 300-plus pages? And it's, it, it's beautifully written, uh, very easy to read, yet very detailed, very insightful. It's almost like you're reading a piece of nonfiction, but... Um, I guess the reality is it's, uh, it, it's, it's not fiction. Well, that's the sad part of it. And uh, Carl Horowitz is an excellent writer. Mm. He's been published uh, practically everywhere. But more than that, he's been a Sharpton watcher for many, many years. Uh, he's covered Sharpton on our website. And as part of our corporate integrity project, we have closely monitored the big companies that support Sharpton, and we've I've been complaining about this and making an issue of it for many years, uh, like a dozen years. But it seems like now it's particularly important because of the murder of the two policemen 
in New York City, which has placed the spotlight on Sharpton, who vilified law enforcement for many weeks uh, preceding the murders. But apart from Al Sharpton, who else is in your target radar? Well, we um, uh, in the last couple of years, we uh, have uncovered corruption in Congress. Uh, we exposed the fact that Charles Rangel, who at the time was chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, uh, had a beach house in uh, in the Dominican Republic, uh, which he rented out, but he didn't report <laughs> the tax, the uh, the income uh, on his uh, federal tax return, didn't pay taxes on it, and didn't disclose it as a member of Congress would. Uh, that cost him his um, House Ways and Means chairmanship after uh, after we exposed it and after he was admonished by the House Ethics Committee. We also um, exposed a junket that he took to the Caribbean, uh, which was sponsored by big corporations in violation of House rules. I actually tagged along on that junket. They didn't know who I was, and I was able to document... Um, the corporate sponsorship, which was quite evident uh, at the resort uh, down in St. Martin. Um, those two things were key elements of the Bill of Particulars that led to a censure by the entire House a couple years ago. Uh, today, we're uh, involved in a number of things, uh, including uh, a recent front-page story in the New York Times on December 17th about uh, this rich Ecuadorian family who allegedly looted a bank in Ecuador who are enjoying the sanctuary of the United States who had to get a family member into the country, so they started shelling out big bucks to American politicians, including uh, Senator Robert Menendez, a Democrat from New Jersey. Menendez went to bat uh, for this family with Hillary Clinton's chief of staff at the State Department, and a visa was issued uh, to this woman, even though she had been previously barred uh, from the country for immigration violations. She had previously tried to bring in, uh, illegally bring in her maids, uh, but got caught and as a result was barred from the country. Uh, but it's a interesting story because it involves Menendez and Hillary and, um, and real hypocrisy on the immigration issue. But then how do you get money to investigate all these? Because mm, this must cost quite a bit, like especially the... The, uh, the issue about Charles Rangel not declaring the rental on his holiday home. Um, not only is that an asset that's overseas, but in order to be able to investigate what's happening month to month. Well, you don't need a lot of money to um, find information necessarily. Mm. If it's the right information, it can be tremendously leveraged. In the case of Rangel's Beach House, we sent a lawyer down there uh, who was bilingual and um, it was worth the plane ticket. Within about 10 minutes, he established that not only was Rangel's place right on the beach, but it was constantly rented out. And he knew that because the hotel that was next door uh, served as kind of a rental agency for him, and you could just walk up to the front desk of the hotel and, and rent Rangel's place. And he attempted to do that and uh, verify that it was on the market and so forth. We, um, he came back, and we gave the story to the New York Post, uh, they sent a reporter down there who um, not only confirmed what we found, but also got a sort of iconic picture of Wrangell in a uh, chaise lounge on the beach, which became sort of the symbol of the scandal. Um, so what we do often is leveraged uh, through the media. We work with uh, uh, 
the New York Post, the New York Times. We've had five front-page stories uh, in the Wall Street Journal based on our research. So um, we um, raise all our money from private sources, from uh, individual donors uh, primarily, and uh, it's not how much money you spend. It's what you do with the money you do have. And right. we like to think we're lean and mean. <laughs> well, definitely, and very threatening, I'm sure, to the wrong people. Um, my immediate perception, let's get back to Al Sharpton, is, you know, I'm in a dilemma here because uh, I'm a new American, and I do admire how far he's come in his life, um, but I do detest the fact that his success really has been based on appealing to popular prejudice uh, rather than using rational argument. He just seems to from my perspective, sort of incite hatred, fuel resentment. Um, do you feel the same? Well, he does, and I, I, I do agree with you. Uh, and he does it all in the context of equal rights and social justice and so forth, which is a joke. Uh, as Carl Horowitz writes in the Sharpton book, uh, he says that Sharpton's the product of a distorted political culture. Mm. And I really believe that's true. We have um, Sharpton, who um, is a black racist, but who speaks in terms of equality, basically preying on the weaknesses of, of whites and their guilt about this, this country's uh, past association with slavery and racial discrimination, and um, taking advantage of that, uh, pushing it as far as he can go. And I'm not just talking about uh, getting money from big corporations or getting uh, invited to the White House or all these things that have made him so prominent, but just pushing the limits of decency. And that's certainly what's happened now that we have these police murders in New York. Uh, many people think that Sharpton has finally gone too far, although he's been involved in incidents in the past where there's been violence and loss of life. But the spotlight is so uh, strong now because of his association with the White House and so forth, I, I think he really has gone too far. And, you know, the name of the book is uh, Sharpton, A Demagogue's Rise. Uh, I think it's quite possible that in a year or two we'll have to add a chapter and we'll have to rename the book A, Demog a Demagogue's Rise and Fall. <laughs> I really hope so. But let's, let's uh, what in his past has made him the man who he is today? Well, he was always a charismatic figure. He was uh, preaching the Bible on street corners when he was 10 years old. He was known as the boy preacher. Did he become a reverend at the age of 10? Yes. <laughs> how, how does that happen in America or in the world? I mean, how, how do you become a reverend at the age of 10? Well, let's just say the credentialing process is not that um, complicated in some denominations. Mm. Um, but um, um, Sharpton, at an early age, was exposed to some very, very powerful people, and I think he learned from them and, and emulated them, starting with Adam Clayton Powell. Adam Clayton Powell became aware of the, the boy preacher, and, um, and uh, the, the two came to know each other. Adam Clayton Powell was a member of Congress from Harlem, who, uh, despite uh, being mostly white genetically, um, was a very outspoken and bitter um, uh, advocate of, oh, black grievance, uh, 
perhaps at a time when it was more legitimate than it is now, but nonetheless, it was always expressed in a bitter and hateful fashion. Um, he eventually, uh, his career eventually ended in scandal, but within Harlem, he was very, very prominent, and um, Sharpton attached himself to Adam Clayton Powell. Uh, then came along James Brown, uh, you know, the uh, the R&B star, mm-hmm. Sharpton, uh, had a long association with him. He even copied his hairdo in the young days, right? <laughs> yeah. And so Sharpton, from an early age, really became used to operating in the big leagues. But I think the the guy who really made it for Sharpton was Jesse Jackson. Jackson kind of showed Sharpton the way, especially when it comes to shaking down large corporations and um, and putting oneself in a position where uh, benefits can follow. Uh, you know, Jesse Jackson ran for president. Al Sharpton ran for president. If you look at the the, the big companies, the corporations that bankroll Sharpton's group now, you'll find that it's basically the same group that supported Jackson. It's, um, you know, many of the most prominent companies, uh, you know, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, uh, you name it. Mm. And in, in a sense, um, when Sharpton kind of went national and went from just being a regional figure in New York with a national action network, he just sort of uh, inherited Jesse Jackson's client list. Um, he also got lucky in a way because... Uh, Jesse Jackson was from Chicago, like Barack Obama, but the two never got along. And when Barack Obama became president, he was careful to freeze out Jesse Jackson from anything and everything. Why is that? And, well, they just didn't like each other. Um, I think Jesse Jackson uh, viewed um, Obama as a sort of interloper. Um, I think at one point Jackson said that correctly that uh, Obama doesn't have a single drop of slave blood in his system, which is true. Um, uh, but did Obama claim to have slave blood? No, he did not. Right. Uh, his ancestry on his mother's side was 100% white, and on his father's side was um, was 100% black. Uh, his, his dad was from Kenya and may have once or twice stepped foot in North America, but but you know met his mother in Hawaii. So what was the issue that they didn't get along then? Uh, it was local rivalry. I think that, uh, uh, you know, Obama was kind of the golden boy of Illinois politics there for a while. He had a very rapid ascent. Mm-hmm. And Jesse Jackson, uh, you know, came up the old-fashioned way uh, uh, and, um, you know, ran for president, but it was never a candidacy that stood any chance of winning. It was kind of a protest candidacy. Uh, but Obama ascended uh, to the presidency, the first African-American to do so. But in any case, they don't. They didn't like each other, and they still don't like each other. And uh, so Obama was sort of happy to anoint Sharpton as the new Jesse Jackson and the new uh, racial entrepreneur who who had access to the White House. What I what I find with Al is that you know he jumps on any opportunity that could be conceived as a race hate issue. Uh, you know, I'm not white. I'm not black. Um, I, I do accept the fact that racism does exist among some individuals, but not in a society as a whole. There are too many precautions and safeguards to prevent that from happening. And it's also, I think, wrong to generalize. Yes, you might have a few cops who might have racist points of views, but the whole system 
is definitely not racist. In this day and age, I think the assertion of black grievance and the perpetuation of black grievance is just plain mistaken. Yes, it is. Um, we have affirmative action. Uh, we have a black president. Um, African Americans hold all kinds of posts in mm -hmm. the corporate world and government. Um, there's great opportunity to be an African American today. Uh, for one thing, you'll be given preferential treatment over whites. Um, it's not something I'm happy about. It's just reality. Um, so this um, this effort to perpetuate grievance uh, is taking place not because of actual injustice, but because uh, it has benefits for those who assert it. And Sharpton is the primary example of it, making an entire career of it. Now, other people uh, do it. Um, uh, certainly Eric Holder, the, the Attorney General of the United States, who, uh, like Obama, has no ancestral connection to slavery. His, his, uh, his uh, family came from the Caribbean, or, or American slavery, anyway. But is that important, Is that important? Well, to me it is. Uh, you have these black yuppies, mm -hmm. like Obama and Eric Holder, who have no connection, organic, uh, generational or otherwise, uh, to discrimination and slavery in this country. So they really don't know how to act. Uh, Obama can't claim that he's been the victim of oppression. In fact, it's been the contrary. Uh, Barack Obama would not be president unless he were black. That's one of the things that made him um, so special. I get that, uh, but you know how, what? How, that's that's how, important within the black community because they will then discriminate as to how much slave blood you have. But from me, from the outside, all I know is that we have a black man in the White House. And the irony but, of that is absolutely great. And that's it. Yeah, but, but let me tell you what I'm leading up to. Mm. So in order to kind of prove their street cred, right. the Obamas and the Holders, what do they do? They have to find somebody like Al Sharpton who is good at expressing grievance and who has uh, outrage in every word he speaks and who therefore has some moral connection to discrimination and slavery, or a, moral, a connection of moral indignation, which they lack, which they can't conjure up, which is hard for them to imagine, except what they see on TV or read in books. But to them, Sharpton's the original article, even though Sharpton's a complete charlatan. And um, um, so, so that's the problem. We got, ironically, we get Sharpton because we got Obama. So each is using the other. Well, each is using the other, but, but I mean, Sharpton's been around for decades, and he's been doing what he's been doing for mm. decades. But he really came into prominence when uh, Obama became president. And, and I was completely wrong. I thought that as our first African-American president, Obama would want to kind of keep his distance from somebody like Sharpton. And uh, Sharpton represented the old, uh, whereas... Obama represented the new. Here's an African-American who, uh, who ascended to the highest office in the land and who did not overcome discrimination, but um, was exhibit A, that the country had overcome discrimination. And I thought that he would want to get away from sort of the, the race hustlers and the people who were always perpetuating grievance and so forth, but I was completely wrong. Once Obama got in there, uh, for the reasons that I've already uh, mentioned, 
uh, about Obama having no connection to discrimination or slavery or even a memory of it, uh, that they, they turn to somebody like Sharpton, who they perceive who does, even though he... Well, shouldn't we be scared that Sharpton is an ad- a secret advisor to Obama? I mean, what does is, what is he advise on? Well, I don't think it's secret. Uh, he's made uh, 80, 85 trips to the White House, according to the, according to the White House log. There have been um, uh, Obama advisors like Patrick Gaspard, who are uh, key operatives uh, in Sharpton's operations. Whenever Sharpton needed a demonstration in New York City, it was organized by an operative named Patrick Gaspard, who uh, served as a pol- the political director for the Obama White House. He's mm. now left. He's now our, our ambassador to South Africa. But a real street organizer type, his day job ostensibly was with um, SEIU, the radical union up there that's been um, organizing a lot of these anti-police protests. So um, um, uh, the connections are very close. And I think Sharpton was able to raise a lot more money when Obama became president because uh, the companies who were bankrolling Sharpton uh, perceived that they were not only supporting Sharpton and his organizations, but also gaining buying access to the White House. Why do the African-American community support him? I mean, there are so many other leaders. Why, why follow him? Because he just seems to be focused on the race issue as opposed to progress. He gets the money from these organizations, but does the money go back into the black community? No. Uh, a lot of it goes into Al's pocket. Right. Uh, Al, Al lives in hotels. Five-star hotels. No Martin Luther King used to live in motels. This guy lives in a five-star hotel. Right. I mean, he claims he doesn't have an automobile or, or any clothing that's his or any wristwatch or anything like that. It all belongs to somebody else um, or something else. So I think Sharpton's uh, personal finances are mixed in with the finances of his organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's been a string of unpaid bills, unpaid rent, and unpaid taxes. Um, and, and, of course, if you ask him to pay it, he's going to claim racism. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's that's the game he's always played. Um, but he's been able to raise more money and actually start paying some of his debts in recent years because of his newfound prominence made possible by Barack Obama. Hmm. But then don't the African-American community see that the money that he makes, obviously there's an irony in all of this because the money he takes for some sort of grievance in some sort of way, shows racism does have a price. I don't think that uh, African Americans or um, view Sharpton, for the most part, any differently than than white Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, I think middle class ba- blacks are probably embarrassed by him. They're probably in a position of white liberals in that they know what he's up to, they know what he's about, mm. but they're not going to say anything. Um, it just wouldn't look right. Um, Sharpton does have a following. He is able to uh, incite a crowd, incite an audience. But it's often a case of him jumping in front of a parade. You mentioned these incidents that he seems to capitalize on. Well, he didn't have any following in Ferguson, Missouri, before he went there. There was a um, local situation uh, that he exploited to promote himself to the the, the 
to the podium. And that's what he's done his entire career. The the riots in Crown Heights, he didn't start the riots. Uh, but once a terrible incident occurred and there was a reaction to it, he showed up and exacerbated the situation and raised his own profile in the process. And that's what he does. I'm amazed. So he, he, did, he, did, he did run for president, and he got 2% of the vote in Democratic primaries. And in some states, like South Carolina, the black vote is, is pretty sizable in the Democratic primary. That's about, that, did, that's about 6 million. All that well. That's about 6 million U.S. people there, right there. Yeah. I'm amazed at the list of companies that support him, ranging from Best Buy, Citigroup, Ford, FedEx, uh, even Facebook, Daimler, Chrysler, uh, and, and so many more. What, what are they scared of that, that he can do? What, what could he do if they refuse to pay? I think they perceive that dealing with Sharpton um, is troublesome. Uh, now, not all these companies have problems. Not all these companies are like Sony Pictures where somebody hacked into an email account and some of the emails were racially charged. Mm-hmm. I'm not aware of any allegations against Best Buy, for instance. But I think uh, for a lot of them, it's preemptive. No, but in in the book, on, on page, I think, 21, it says that there's a list of companies who've served as sponsors of the National Action Network. So they're obviously paying not him because he never accepts any money or has any money to give. It's always some organization. Well, that's correct. His main group is called the National Action mm. Network, which he calls the Civil Rights Group, but which has served as kind of his soapbox and his personal slush fund. But what are these companies paying him for, for not doing what? what? What will he promise not to do? Well, they're approached on the basis of supporting civil rights and supporting equality. Uh, Sharpton has a annual convention for the National um, Action Network. He had a 60th birthday party in New York City, and he asked these companies to co-sponsor the event. We'll put your name on the banner. We'll put your name on the program, and you can demonstrate your commitment to civil rights in this fashion. Mm -hmm. But implicit, uh, and something that's never stated, is that I'll also leave you alone. Uh, Look at Walmart. Um, Isn't this like one of those mafia movies? Yes. Where the guys used to go around to the shops and say, we won't smash your windows. If you give well, us protection called, money. It's called a protection racket, yeah. of course. Look, look at Walmart. Um, Walmart, um, for reasons that may or may not be valid, is a target for the left, uh, for the unions, uh, for the organized left. Uh, Walmart seems to represent all that's evil in corporate America. And their biggest sin is that they are non-union and seem intent on staying that way. Mm-hmm. Well, Sharpton doesn't criticize Walmart. Um, Sharpton got to Walmart early, and in 2007 uh, met with Lee Scott, who was the CEO at the time. Lee Scott uh, said that Sharpton, somebody can sit down with, and um, a, re- a reasonable guy and, and all this, and uh, they became financial supporters. So since that time, uh, Sharpton has not criticized Walmart, even though uh, many of his allies do, uh, for ideological reasons. Uh, so that's an example where a company has kind of bought Sharpton silence, and I think that's the way it works. 
Now, I think there are companies on there that have absolutely no exposure uh, in the case of Sharpton's threats, and Sharpton will be unable to follow through on his threats anyways, but they just give. I mean, uh, for a company to, say, buy a table at a dinner for $25,000, that's not a lot of money for a large corporation, so they just do it. And I think Sharpton, you know, part of Sharpton uh, is, is a bluffer, and he bluffs with these companies, implies that he can hurt them when he really can't. Um, that's what I'm thinking. What, 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 what can he do that's going to be harmful? And as yeah, far as paying 25000 as a shareholder, I wouldn't want my company to be engaging in this sort of stuff or, or in any way entertaining fear or blackmail. Well, well I think there's a, there has to be a moral element to it, and whether it's $1 or a $1 million, right. companies should not be doing it. Right. Um, and and, and that's, that's been our message over the years, and one that I think suddenly um, has relevance after the murder of these two cops. Um, but Sharpton is not capable of launching a consumer boycott. He just doesn't have a following that would allow that. Uh, he can throw up some pickets, and he's done that from time to time. But in general, he would prefer not to do that. He would prefer to stop by and just pick up the check. Um, um, and so why so, don't they call him on the bluff? Well, I mean, some do. Um, and and we, were, we were also critics of companies that supported Jesse Jackson, and I've talked to a number of CEOs and former CEOs who did say no to Jesse Jackson. And guess what happened? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, it was a bluff. Ja- Jackson's too busy to, to pick at every company that says no, so he just moves on to the next target. And I think the true is same of Sharpton. Now, Al, Al Sharpton has the organization called National Action Network. And I saw the website this morning, and, and it's very nicely done. But what's its purpose? Because I only hear about it when there's an issue. Its purpose is to, its ostensive purpose is to... Uh, Collect money? Support civil rights. Um, in practice, it operates as a platform for Sharpton and allows him to travel around and, and allows uh, an entity to which uh, corporations can write checks. It has developed into some semblance of a real organization in recent years as Sharpton's been able to raise more money and as he's become more prominent. But um, at its most basic um, level, it's, it's simply a soapbox for him. If he were to go away, it's likely the National Action Network would go away. Well, talking about soapbox, how does this man get his own TV show? Well, he helped to grease the skids uh, for a merger involving uh, Comcast and uh, NBC Universal. The uh, I thought lawyers have, and the bankers did that. Well, when you have a, a merger uh, of media entities, it has to be approved by the FCC, the Federal Communications. Right. And Sharpton um, had allies on the commission at that time and went up to the companies and said, hey, I could be helpful to you um, if you will become supporters of mine. And he was so successful in that endeavor, he parlayed it into a, uh, a show on MSNBC. You have to admire him, though, you know? I mean, this is like whatever we were taught at Sunday school not to do. You know, it, it almost seems like the fact that crime doesn't pay. And I'm not saying he's done a crime or anything, but it just seems... 
that no matter what he does, he always wins and, 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 and sort of squeezes out of things in, in, a, in a great way. Well, that's true. And uh, uh, that's why we've made a point uh, to go after his enablers. We're not going to change him. He's not going to stop uh, doing what he's done for decades. But he's only able to do it now at the level he's doing it now uh, because of the prominence he's achieved, uh, uh, helped along by others, whether it's the White House or these large companies. So that's why we're going after his corporate supporters. They are truly his enablers. And uh, Sharpton is no fool. He will push the envelope as far as he can until he meets resistance. And he's met very little resistance in his career, no matter how outrageous his his conduct has has become. And I happen to believe that the police murders in New York City change everything, and that Sharpton is now viewed in a different way. And it'll be a lot harder for his enablers to continue. I think it's just morally untenable for big companies like Walmart to continue to support him. Well, the NLPC and this book are going to be two types of resistance that he's, he might not have encountered before. Well, yes, we are um, fighting Sharpton by seeking to dry up his corporate support. Mm-hmm. We're also fighting Sharpton by telling the truth. And that's the whole point of this book. Well, uh, where is he lying for us to tell the, for him to tell the truth? Well, he would not say that he was responsible for the deaths of several people in Freddy's Fashion Mart mm-hmm. in 1995. Uh, he would not say he's responsible uh, for a murder in the Crown, House, Crown Heights riots in uh, 1991. Mm-hmm. Um, he would not say that he's anti-Semitic, even though he's referred to Jews as diamond merchants. Um, so what we want to do is set the record straight. One virtue of this book is just the incredible detail. It's carefully footnoted and documented, and it goes through all these uh, incidents uh, back in the past, you know, uh, the subway vigilante, Howard Beach, the Tuala Brawley, Brawley episode, uh, you know, the Central Park, um, Wilding, Bensonhurst, Crown Heights, uh, you know, any number of other things. The uh, Gina, Louisiana controversy, uh, the Don Imus situation, Sean Bell, um, and then most recently, of course, the um, a Trayvon Martin situation in Florida and the vilification of uh, George Zimmerman and um, the very recent events in Ferguson and New York City. Are you prepared for a backlash from him and his lawyers on the book? Well, we've tried to be very careful with this book. Uh, It is uh, heavily footnoted and carefully documented. We're well aware that he may try to come after us. Mm -hmm. Um, We're in kind of a dangerous business to begin with, Vip. (laughs) I can imagine, yeah. Well, threats are nothing new to us. We also have an organized uh, labor accountability project, and uh, we've taken on mob dominated unions in the past, and um, that has generated threats to our safety and so forth. So um, You live dangerously. Well, we're pretty careful, um, but we like to think our biggest defense mechanism is just our visibility. Uh, It'd be crazy for somebody to come after us uh, because it would would instantly be news. Now, that isn't to say it's not going to happen, 
but we try to be very careful. Um, pursuing Sharpton is not without risk, but... Uh, Was he aware that you when, were writing the book? Uh, I don't know. He certainly is now because it's been reported in a lot of the news. Well, he loves this also. show, so obviously he'll be listening in. Um, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever well, met... I'd be, ha- I'd be happy to send him a copy. You know, it, it's not a hatchet job or... No, it's not. I, like I said, you know, I read it. It tended to be, you know, 100% critical. We do give the devil his due, and there's quite a bit of, of analysis about how uh, he has achieved such lofty heights, and it's been ascribed uh, to not only some of the negative things we've discussed, but also to some positive things like uh, charisma. And um, Yeah, well, that was one word in, in, in maybe a million words, but... but I've got to say, I, I loved the book because, you know, like I said, it was, it was like reading a fictional piece of work. But the scary part was that it was nonfiction. It was very well written out. Uh, I was just concerned that because it's so detailed um, that he might come at you guys or your organization. Well, it is possible. Uh, there's an author named Ken Timmerman who wrote a book titled Shakedown about Jesse Jackson. Mm-hmm. And he did get sued, um, and um, so we, he, he is a friend of ours, and um, we know what happened to him, and uh, we've been exceed- let's just say we've been exceedingly careful in the preparation of this book. Uh, plus, um, if somebody wants to sue us, fine. Uh, that's what we do. Um, we're not an individual author um, who has certain vulnerabilities. Um, we... Um, have been in litigation in the past, and if somebody were to sue us, uh, we would uh, be in a position to get discovery on them, and um, that would probably this could backfire then. It would probably serve as a disincentive for somebody suing us. But um, you know, we try to be very careful. Uh, we're not infallible on our website. When we do make a mistake, we're careful to correct it and careful to take down things immediately if somebody asserts there's an inaccuracy. So. Um, uh, we just try to be very careful, but we have to do what we do. Uh, have part you ever of our met? Frustration, part of our frustration is just how um, weak uh, our society's become in confronting evil mm-hmm. and how somebody like Sharpton has been able to go so far and that people who know better refuse to stand up to him. Well, we're, we're standing up to him. Oh, and, and I hope you guys right win. I hope you guys win. Have you ever met Al? on a one-to-one basis? I've um, debated him on TV. Uh, in fact, I was on with him mm. and Johnny Cochran, the late Johnny Cochran, uh, once uh, on a show hosted by Geraldo Rivero on MSNBC. So it was three against one. <laughs> How did that go? Uh, I thought it went okay. I did not once call him Reverend, but um, I called him Al as in order to disrespect him, but he didn't even seem to notice. Um also, I was at a, a dinner once, a political dinner once. This was, I don't know, this was a long time ago. And it was a Republican dinner. And I'm sitting there, and some congressman is droning on or something up at the podium. And who walks by but James Brown and, and Al Sharpton? <laughs> and it certainly caught my attention. I, I have no idea what they were doing there, but uh, they certainly uh, were a colorful duo to be you know, walking through the tables at a Republican fundraising dinner. 
I, I did. I did not get up and say hello. However, they just they just walked by me. But does Al have a lot of presence in the room when you see him? Yeah, I mean he he's. I mean, I don't mean this in a negative. Well, I guess I do mean it in a negative way. He's kind of strange looking, and um, um, you know, it's it's unmistakable when you see him. Uh, you're not going to mistake him for somebody else. That's for sure. Right. Now there was this. Let's talk about the sort of financial discrepancies in in his organization, because, like you said, you know, he doesn't own anything. Yeah, sort of the you know the Al Capone uh, model of. Of, um, or doesn't own anything in his personal name, but he sort of seems to, judging from what your book said, seems to have a lot of these non-for-profit organizations uh, that yeah, seem to fund his well. lifestyle. And now, you know, before I came to Fox, I was a, ba- a banker myself, and I know that you can live your life through expenses uh, from the revenues that your organizations collect. Well, that's right, and and that's part of our complaint to corporate America. Mm. Um, Sharpton's organization is just so unaccountable. There's unpaid rent, unpaid bills, uh, unpaid taxes, um, state taxes, federal taxes, and no major U.S. company would engage a vendor or do business with somebody that had such problems, yet they make an an exception for Sharpton. And um, when he's been asked to produce records by various authorities over the years, well, they keep having fires. Uh, they've been Sharpton has uh, claimed on two occasions that all the financial records of the National Action Network have, are unavailable because they had a fire at their office and they were burned. So he doesn't use computers then. Well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, because if you're owed money, your creditors will provide you with the invoices that you claim to have been set on fire. You know, if I forgot oh, to pay sure. my electricity bill, they'll say, no problem, you had a fire, too bad. Well, here's the invoice. But see, here's the thing. Those, those follow-up questions are never directed at Sharpton. Mm. He's always got an excuse. He's always got an explanation. And anybody who challenges uh, those explanations are racist. So, How convenient. Um, there was an issue you were telling me about earlier on, the playing field asset management with quite a large sum of money. Yes, this was uh, first reported recently in the New York Post. Mm. There um, was a hedge fund in New York City called Plainfield Asset Management. Uh, It was headed by Harold Levy, the former chancellor of the New York school system. Uh, It later collapsed, by the way, um, and was subject to SEC enforcement actions, or at least a SEC investigation or review of its operations, and um, it made a half-million-dollar gift to something called Education Reform Now, and that money, through a series of transactions, ended up with the National Action Network. Uh, Sharpton, uh, at the time, was lobbying, reportedly lobbying, the governor of New York, David Patterson, on behalf of a company that sought a lucrative uh, gambling casino gambling franchise at Aqueduct Raceway. And um, as it turns out, uh, Plainfield, the hedge fund, had a major stake in this company that was seeking the, the franchise. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of not where a company's buying 
the silence of Al Sharpton, but actually paying him, albeit in a roundabout and certainly improper way and possibly a legal way, um, for a specific benefit. And that is something that's just been reported, and, and it certainly bears more scrutiny. Now, education reform now was a charitable cause. That's correct. And you know what I have There's problem with? What I have problem with is how can one charitable cause give money to another charitable cause? Well, that's sometimes done, and there's nothing necessarily suspect about that. Where the problem here is that uh, they were not pursuing a charitable goal. They are pursuing a, a, a business opportunity and a, a profit-making goal, which is clearly not allowed uh, by the IRS when it comes to nonprofit organizations. You see, what I have a problem with, and maybe you're right, it's not, he's just taking advantage of the system. I think we have to catch the system. Because if I'm giving money to a charity, like to say to the homeless, and that money then goes to the National Action Network, I'd have a serious problem with that. Because I'm, my purpose of my donation is for the homeless. Well, I hope you're not a, an animal lover, because the Humane Society of America... Uh, was one of the groups that uh, that, that helped fund uh, Sharpton's birthday party in New York, his 60th birthday party. Wow. I mean, I can't think of an organization more removed from its mission than that. But I think with the police murders, uh, those kinds of sources of support for Sharpton will hopefully dry up. So there's something not... He's just taking advantage of whatever the system allows him to do so. Yes, that's right. And he, he, he gets very little resistance. Um, it's, it's, it's a real shame that people have not stood up to him. If they had stood up to him in New York uh, earlier mm. in his career, maybe he wouldn't be where he is today. But um, that did not happen, so that's why it's important for all of us to stand up now. So how can we as a society now control people like Al? Well, I think that it's important for us to uh, articulate our support for law enforcement, mm -hmm. uh, for police officers. Um, it's not just Sharpton that was engaged in this. You had Eric Holder doing it, and you had, uh, in, in, a, in a more mild but in a very definitive way, the President of the United States. And it's truly regrettable. Um, Sharpton kind of perfected this poison for use by the others, uh, but they all did use it. So I think, first and foremost, we have to um, reiterate our support for uh, the professionals, the dedicated professionals who keep us safe. Absolutely. And, and we have a mayor in New York who um, is still sort of, um, still thinks he did nothing wrong and still thinks he will be able to leave the city uh, even after these these murders, he's never seen so many backsides in the last few weeks, has he? No, and um, and um, and I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. Mm. I mean, that is a that was um, sort of a silent and and very um, appropriate and respectful form of protest. But uh, I think uh, beneath the surface, uh, th things are seething. Right. And uh, not only police officers, but many New Yorkers uh, resent and hate what's happening to their city where it's being torn apart needlessly uh, by people who uh, have 
uh, like the Blasio, who have uh, leftist and extremist political ideologies and who believe that American society is fundamentally unjust, and it's unjust because of the capitalist system, and that the way we um, fight back against the capitalist system and eventually overturn it is to draw the lines right. and to, um, and to uh, uh, increase uh, racial tension and um, exacerbate uh, whatever harmony exists in our society completely. And he's, he's certainly been successful in that. And um, uh, that's why it's important for the rest of us to uh, stand up and take a stand. When does the book come out? Book will be out uh, within a within a few weeks, maybe even earlier, maybe as soon as two or three weeks, and you'll be able to get it on Amazon. On Amazon, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Peter. Well, Vip, I enjoyed it, and uh, maybe next year we can we can talk about the book with its new chapter. Oh yes, definitely and definitely, <laughs> and especially if you have a legal case against you, definitely come on the show. We'll talk about that. Okay. Well. Uh, I'm not wishing for that, but no. if it happens, it happens, and I'll be happy to talk about it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswal and my Facebook page, The Vip Jaswal Report. A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern with more fascinating stories that fill our lives with the inspiration and information we so need to kickstart the week. I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your family and loved ones, and until next Sunday, have a productive and a happy week ahead. 